surprise. You thought Sergio was going to speak, didn't you? <laughs> okay, you can leave if you don't want to stay now. <laughs> All right. He told me that I could preach, but I'm not allowed to be intense. So I'm going to try really hard not to cry or burst into flames. <laughs> I got to tell you guys, if you were not involved in VBS, you missed it this week because it was amazing. And it, it's always a miracle. You have no idea how things are put into our hands. But we covered the whole world, yeah? The whole world. <laughs> it was amazing. And the kids had so much fun. We had to come, you had to go through the airport <laughs> and get scanned. That was our favorite part. And then you had to fly on the airplane and you had a barf bag and Cassie was the stewardess that told you, if you have to barf, raise your hand and I will tell you, you do not have to barf. <laughs> we even had seatbelts on our airplane. <laughs> Come on, isn't that the cutest thing ever? Okay. And the kids played games, they did everything. And Janelle and I are as opposite as two humans can ever be. Last year was rough. This year we had a blast. But Ron decided to come and help us one day. Ron, the engineer, the logical, left-brained, obsessive-compulsive, melancholy, logical, decided to help us decorate. <laughs> A room full of sanguine, flaky women that fly by intuition. He is lucky to be alive. It is a miracle. So when you see him, just say, it's a miracle. <laughs> there were so many people that helped, too. I mean, built things. Unbelievable. Um, and you're going to hear more at the end. I mean, it is so important for us to do these cool things for our kids. I mean, I remember being in fourth grade, and I wanted to join the Peace Corps. I wasn't a Christian, but I wanted to go help those kids in Africa, and I even fasted to raise money for them. It was, it was really important to me, and that was just a hope and a dream, and um, never dreamed, you know, that I would end up being a Christian, and, you know, I, that was all I knew was the Peace Corps, so that was what I helped, helped me, what I asked God for help for. I want to tell you about my very intense first experience of being an Adventist. And uh, I'm taking it from the book of Psalms 139, because this is the first, the first scripture that Jesus gave me. I mean, it's mine. It's mine now. It belongs to my skin. And the first thing that happened is I told God I am never going to make it as a Christian unless you get me out of this community and away from my friends because they were partying. I did not want to be a Christian. It was too oatmeal, you know, good for you, but blah. <laughs> I really thought I would become a Christian and turn into a, an oatmeal cookie. And I thought, I, I'm not going to make it, but I know you're calling me God. And so the first thing he did was he flew me from Pennsylvania to the Ozarks <laughs> and I mean, I was baptized, and the next day, a friend said, I'll fly you out there. Come and work with us at camp, okay? Now, I'm from Washington, D.C. I don't do camp. 
I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the woods. I was afraid of water that wasn't in a swimming pool. It was so many fears, and I remember saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. We're going to have all these kids here in a week, and I am scared of everything here. Everything here. Forget the ticks. I was afraid of the frogs. I thought they were going to kill me. So I began to pray, and God gave me Psalm 139, and I'm just going to share a little piece in the middle of it. 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I will rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea. Even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light for you. And I want you to know, I said, I got to deal with this fear. And I thought, the first one is the lake. I got to deal with this fear of dark water. So at 4.30 in the morning, I went down to the dock to swim to the center of the lake because I was terrified of it. Mm. A fisherman pulls up alongside of our dock, and I said, catch anything? And I was so hoping he would say, there are no fish left in this lake. Because <laughs> that was my fear. I had seen the movie Jaws. And it didn't matter that we weren't by the ocean, that it was just the Ozark Lakes. <laughs> you know, In my mind, it was the ocean, and there were sharks. And the second I put my foot in, I would die. That's my mind. So I put on a life jacket, then I put on a float belt, then I put on two arm things that some kid left, okay? And I jumped in, okay? And for everything I had inside of me, I said this verse at the top of my lungs and swam. Though I ride the morning waves to the farthest ocean, even there, your hand, your hand will be on me. And I sat in the middle of the lake screaming this verse because I was literally terrified. And I was trying to hold my legs up at the same time because I was so afraid. Oh, I didn't finish the story. The fisherman said, oh, yes, I just caught a gar today. Oh, what's a gar? Does anybody know what a gar is? Oh, yes. A garfish is a fish with a crocodile face. It has this long, long nose with a thousand needly teeth. Now, nobody told me they don't really open their jaws more than an inch. But I saw that thing, and if anybody could swim from their waist up with their legs tucked in, I did it. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to wear all these safety things because once it eats my legs, they'll at least find the top of me bouncing in the waves, <laughs> you know, and they'll know what happened to me. So I'm screaming, and I'm swimming, and I'm yelling, even here, look, your hand is on me. Your hand is bigger than this water. Nancy, look at all this water. You're, you have separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. I said, look, Nancy, there's the east. Look, Nancy, there's the west. 
look how far, because I needed a visual. I am a visual person. I needed to see how big God's hand, and if it was bigger than the lake, then it was huge. I did this every single morning for the next two months. Every fisherman on the lake hated me. <laughs> and they did not catch any fish during that time. <laughs> By the end of the summer, something weird happened. I mean, I was a baby Christian. And there were all these things that were confusing. And I needed to learn so many things about God. And whenever I needed him, do you know where I went? Middle of the lake. Because that's where I knew he was. Because God is always in the depths of your greatest fear. He is everywhere, but he lives in the very depths of the thing that you're afraid to let go of. And I learned that in that place is his, his angels dwell with power. And so it became a symbol for me. Now the summer came, I went through theology, I went into the depths of the lake. I was the only female there, and I'm pretty sure I was like Ron in the middle of VBS. I was the only one that was intuitive and asked questions like, what were their dresses like? <laughs> you know, whatever, I didn't ask that. But it was in the middle of the Desmond Ford crisis, which was huge, and here was, I just got a little, I got the Bible school sanctuary and I read my way right through that and read everything I could find and God kept me straight in the middle of the lake because I'm not a real political person I don't like that but God will be there with you if you have to do that so it came up time I'm walking by and I see in the middle of the ministry office a book that says missionaries and I walk in and I say, what is this thing? And they go, oh, those are all the mission calls from around the world. There's a book? You're kidding me. Nobody told me this. And, he, and I said, do they have Africa? Because remember, fourth grade. And they said, yeah, we have Africa, but nothing's really open there right now, but we really need people in Indonesia. And I asked them, oh, I guess I get to do this. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Technology, the middle of the lake. <laughs> Into your deepest fears we go. I saw Indonesia. My roommate, my friend Sam, we went, let's go. We had no money. And people, I had people that had money. None of the people with money gave me money. Do you know who gave me money? The girl that I picked fruit with at the village market. She was from Mexico. And she goes, how come you never ask me for money? And I said, because you have less money than me, and I don't have anything. And she goes, I do have money. And she waves this little check in front of me. And she goes, I have $25. It's my birthday money. I know. And I said, I can't take your money. That's your birthday money. And she goes, for my birthday, I'm going to buy a missionary to Indonesia. <laughs> it still gets me. It still gets me that somebody who had nothing invested I said I wasn't going to cry and being dramatic. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I went. And we get there, and we're in Indonesia. And this is me. I was young one time. 
and my friends and my students. This is us. We went to a place called Sumatra, and Sumatra has lots of monkeys, and they are the meanest things you have ever met. You see that boy right there kneeling down? He does not know yet. But the lady standing next to me brought a cucumber, and she went to cut it to give that big monkey a piece. He grabbed hold of her dress. He pulled her down to face level, and, he, and she just stuffed the cucumber right in his face. <laughs> And the local kids came out with rocks, and they were throwing, and we were like, oh my goodness, and they had teeth you would not believe. But that was, I, I, that was, there's always interesting things when you're a missionary. This is the mountains. The mountains were always covered with mist. They were beautiful. You know, the rice, I'm sorry, these pictures are very old and not in great shape. I did not have a good camera. And um, if you ever saw a man with an ox, that's where your rice comes from right there. The place before it, that's where your tea comes from. And this, these men would take big boards, and they would get an ox to pull the front, and they would pull the side. Their whole bodies lean forward, their muscles and their legs. And they would do this day after day to flatten those fields so the rice would grow in them. And they could not afford to eat the rice they were growing. Yeah, it, it, you think about in verse, it says, will in heaven where it says, not one man will build and another man will inhabit and not one man will plant and another man eat. I think of these people. When they see heaven, how surprised. Now these women, I want you to know, we arrived the first day, Sam and I were so excited. We were, we were missionaries. And um, we got up and we said, let's go jogging. And the sun hadn't come up yet. And there was a little thing they forgot to tell us about. We left our compound and we started jogging down the street. And before the sun comes out, well, there are bats, fruit bats. They're not regular bats. They can grow to be five feet in width. So we're jogging, and the Muslims are praying on their microphones. They pray so early. And these women were coming, and they had come out from praying. And so all of a sudden, Sam is not with me. And I look back, and she has this great big bat wrapped around her. <laughs> and she's trying to get it off of her, because they just fly into you. They're blind. And, and I'm going, Sam, stop messing around and come on. And she's like, she was so mad at me. And the next day, one of them came after her, and she ran back to the guard. We had a guard. He was exactly four feet, eight inches tall. And Sam had her entire body wrapped around him, and he's like, crazy American, help. <laughs> he wasn't much of a guard. <laughs> but these ladies, I love these ladies. They were so sweet, and they lived. This is a very special lady. This lady lived on our compound, and she stole everything, all of our stuff. She stole it. She ate all the sugar. She had no teeth. Her teeth were all black. I think be beetle nut probably also, but sugar. But she was a character, and I decided into the deep, I'm going to go. I'm going to get to know this lady. So in our garage, they had set up a place where the women could rest in the hot heat of the day. So they had their little, and so I went up and I sat. Now, I didn't know anything. I could not talk to this woman. I had just gotten there. I had no words. So I went up and I just sat on her bed next to her, her little cot, and she just looked at me and she laughed with her no teeth, and she just started giggling like, what do you want? I could just tell her face, like, and I just sat there next to her, and then finally we were sitting next to each other. I, I reached over and 
I felt her leg, because her leg was really beautiful. It was very beautiful brown. And she said, um, I looked at her, and I said, ooh, and she goes, she raised her eyebrows at me a couple times, you know, like, ooh. <laughs> and I said, sexy. And she, she burst out laughing. She knew that word. <laughs> and so, oh, I'm losing my microphone. Wait a minute. I don't want it to lose completely. It has nowhere to go. This will be interesting. Where is it? <laughs> I have no idea. Somewhere in here. <laughs> and nobody can help me. <laughs> I'll find it somewhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, where's my knight in shiny armor? <laughs> I'm sorry. We were afraid of this. That they Somehow we lost our clip that goes on waistbands. So anyway, despite that. So um, she never stole anything from me. She liked me. And every time we would go across the campus, she would go, sexy. You know, <laughs> it was like I had made her life. <laughs> it was really fun. And so I did actually try. I went to the other lady that worked with us, and I said, please teach me some more words. Teach me how to say God loves you, Jesus Christ loves you, and I love you. Allah chintakamu, Jesus Christus chintakamu, and Saya chintakamu. And I, over and over until I can remember them. And so we, um, I, hate, I start talking, then I lose all of it. So I thought, well, this will be better. Every day, I would walk through the villages. And at the line of the two villages, kids would come forward. And one group of kids would leave you, and another group would meet you. They never crossed the lines in their villages. And they couldn't wait. They'd be clapping. They were so excited. And every time I saw them and I came to a village, I would ask them to sing a song for me. And uh, then, they had, then I had to sing a song for them. Guess what song I always sang for them? Jesus. Oh, stop. No, if you're happy and you know it. <laughs> Come on. Turn around, stomp your hands. <laughs> They have no idea what you're singing, but it's entertaining. So we went for it, and they would sing me a song, Disini Disanang. I should make you all sing it, but we'll do this first. So we would sing, and I would go through the villages. I loved the kids. Never got enough of them. Just cute little boy. This is a very special picture, because this is the reaction of every child I ever met in the village. They'd be sitting there playing. They'd take one look at me and go, and I'd say, what are they doing? And she goes, they're afraid of white people. And I'd look at her and I'd say, I'm darker than you. And I'd put my arm up to them and they'd say, no, but you have a big nose. <laughs> I love these little boys. They live near us and they were so cute. When you live in Indonesia, if your parents can't pay for school, you don't get to go to school. These little kids are all in a school near us. But this little boy's parents can't afford it. So this little boy every day carries those. That thing he's leaning on goes over your shoulder and he carries these two big, huge things of vegetables to the market. Whoops, wrong way. These little girls carry bricks on their heads up the mountain. 
every day. They, they were shy. They didn't want to show me. So they were getting ready, and what they do is they take those bricks and they load them on that piece of cloth, and they will load them as high up as you can't even imagine how much weight that they can carry. This little girl and her brothers and sisters, they are cutting the grass at the university, the Adventist University. You see that stick? That's what they're cutting it with. They just stand there and whack the weeds. And um, that I, I thought that was amazing. This was a lady, I, I met this lady just walking along the river. And when she saw me, she just kind of screamed. It was like, oh, my hair's not done, you know? She looked like that. So I said, no. And I used the magic word. You are sexy. <laughs> so she posed for me, and I thought, this is magic. It's known everywhere. <laughs> it even worked here. This is a pig farm. I walked down, and I just met this man who was a farmer, and I was looking didn't know what to say to him. So I turned and I looked at the biggest pig he had and I went, sexy. And he looked at me and he went, and he looked really confused. And I said, yeah. And I learned the word jalek, handsome. And I said, handsome? And he goes, oh yeah. <laughs> handsome pigs. This is why I had so many friends in Indonesia. <laughs> These little boys, if you don't have a parent, and none of these little boys did not. They were all homeless. And there was a lot of them. And you didn't just want to lay around and do nothing. You had to work. And these little boys reinvented themselves every day. They were right near my office. And this day, they were shoeshine boys. And they would run around, shoeshine, shoeshine, and they would not leave me alone. And I'd say, look, sandals. And they'd go, no, shoeshine, it's no problem. And, uh, and so one day they came. And the littlest one was blind, and he had put Elmer's glue in his eyelashes, so they look all goofy, and, the other, and he was walking around like this, and the other ones were begging for him. And then one day, he was crippled. They had him bandaged up, and they were carrying him. It, he, they were hysterical, but they were so, in, in, you know, they were really good. This little boy has leprosy, and so he was abandoned by his parents. And I saw him. He was all the time. You can see how his legs are blue, and his hands are blue. That's the early stages of leprosy. And I would bring him food all the time because we would sit on the bridge. And if I gave him money, the people, people would come and take it from him. So I would give him food, whatever I could find. Okay. Now we're to this part. I know this is a really terrible picture, but there was a point when I was in Indonesia. And there were so many things that... Um, were overwhelming. But I had been there a couple months telling half of Indonesia that they were sexy. <laughs> and um, I began to pray. It was Sabbath morning, and I said, God, I miss, I miss talking English. I miss hearing sermons. I, I miss my friends. Did you forget where I am? I, I'm over here. I'm not in America. I'm in Indonesia. Do you remember me? And I felt so far away. And so my friends called me and said, we're going to go to a nursing home. You want to come? I said, sure, that sounds like fun. God is in the greatest depths of the worst things you fear. And God is in the greatest adventures you ever have. And we went to this nursing home, and they had these monkeys. 
tied to the tree, which I thought was very entertaining for a nursing home. And so we, ha- we went there, and we were supposed to go around to all the rooms and invite everybody to come. And so I was going, it was Christmas time, I was going, that's why I was homesick, I wanted to go, I miss my family for Christmas. And I was going all, happy, you know, Slamat Nakal, Slamat Nakal, and I'm, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I went to rooms and rooms and rooms. And I came to a room that had a half door, like a barn door, and the top swung open, and I could see these places, these cots. And... I sat down and I decided I would investigate. So I opened the door and I went in and the smell of urine and feces, it was not good. And I could see this woman crying and she was laying on a cot. And um, she had long, long gray hair, which was, it was just beautiful, but it was, I, I couldn't figure out and she couldn't see because she was in a fetal position in this thing. And so I went over to her, and I started brushing her hair. And I knew three sentences. That was it. Allah chintakam. Jesus Christus chintakam. Saya chintakam. And I said over and over. That's all I knew how to say. And all of a sudden, she turned, and her eyes were like foggy, blue-gray, and um, she was looking at me like she was trying to focus. And I just kept saying, God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. I love you. And all of a sudden, I felt this hand on my shoulder. And it was the biggest, meanest nurse I had ever met in my life. She grabbed hold of me. And it w- I don't know what she said, but it was like, you're not allowed in this room, I'm pretty sure. So they took me back to the center room where these women were singing, and they were, um, there was a few Christians in this country, and they lived in this home, and it was so rare. And I was sitting down, and um, <coughs> she said, uh, please, it, my friend came, she goes, I, I want to translate what the nurse said. She goes, you know how you were thinking you were saying Merry Christmas to everybody? Yeah. And she goes, Slamat Natal, because Merry Christmas. You were saying Slamat Natal. And I said, oh, what does that mean? She goes, happy nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Happy nasty, happy nasty, happy nasty, everybody. Okay, that's how it looked in their view, and so they had requested that I not be allowed out of the main room. (laughs) So I told my friend about this woman that I had seen, and um, uh, the next Sabbath we came, and they would not allow me to go visit. And all of a sudden, they bring in this old wooden wheelchair. I mean, it looked like it was from 1700s. And this lady was sitting there, and um, I recognized it was the woman in the bed. I saw her long hair, and uh, they came in, and we, I ran over to her. And she started talking in Indonesian, and I'm talking in English. And um, I'm, we're, we're both yelling, translator, translator, and the translator came over. And um, 
I said to her, tell her that I, um, she said, she talked to me first, that's what it was. She said, um, I was laying in bed, and she goes, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Very rare in a, in a Muslim country, very rare. And she goes, I've been dying. And she goes, I have no family left, and my church doesn't know I'm here. And she said, I was laying in bed and saying, God, you forgot where I am. The same prayer I prayed. God, you have forgotten me. I am so far away. And she goes, and then I heard this voice saying, God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. I love you. And she said, I opened my eyes and I saw this white face again with the white face. And I saw this white face and I thought I, that you were an angel and I had died and I was in heaven. I couldn't believe it. I finally made it. You know? <laughs> and I said to her, I said, well, I'm not an angel at all, but what is amazing to me is that Jesus would send me around the world and with three sentences let you know that he still sees you, that he is everywhere, that he never forgets us. And in the hours we feel we're alone, he's right there saying, I love you. I love you. Don't let go. And it's not just those places. There was a time when I was called and asked to go to visit a hospital, a 21-year-old guy that had stomach cancer. And uh, my same friends called me and said, do you want to go see him? And I said, I think so. <laughs> and I remember thinking, into the lake. I don't know what to say to somebody who's my age dying. And I remember saying, into the lake. Just get into the lake. Swim to the middle, because Jesus' hand's going to be under you. His love is going to be all around you. And I got to the hospital, and it was a giant room. It's very different. It looks like something from the First World War. And there were beds all the way around the hospital. And you have to understand, there your entire family stays with you. They sleep on the floor and under the bed and on the bed, and they take care of you. But when you become really ill, they put you down at the end, of the corridor and they put a white curtain around you. And that means they don't take care of you or anything else. And evidently that's what had happened to that woman as well. She had been put in that room to die. And so here I was and I'm walking back to the white curtain. And I have to tell you, Jesus lives behind the white curtain. God does not promise us feelings or electricity. Please don't wait for those. But a few times in my life, he has let me feel that. Uh, Dr. Lauren was talking about uh, the scripture at yesterday at VBS, and he was talking about the scripture where open their eyes that they could see, and they could see the whole mountain, an army of angels. And that's how I felt. I walked back there, and here was this young man, and he was so frail. And the, my friend was praying for him. She was over him and praying for him. I didn't know what she was praying, but I could feel Jesus standing there. It's not something that he, he seldom ever gives me that, those things, but I felt the presence of God over this young man. And she sat there, and, and her, as she prayed, I could just feel the Holy Spirit and the angels drawing near to him. 
and he had so little energy and so little time. And she told him that I had come to see him, and I got so nervous. And I thought, what? I, have n I don't know what to say. And I remember he opened his eyes for the first time, and he turned and he looked at me, and he said, thank you, that this young man honored me with his last breaths. And I began to realize, do you want to see Jesus? Go where he is. Go behind the white curtain. Go to the middle of your fear. He is everywhere. He is in your deepest, blackest, darkest nightmare. And in your greatest triumphant adventure, he lives in those places. I think that's all I have. Oh. I just threw this in for fun. This is New York City. These are kids that live two blocks over from the richest place in town, and that's their coats. Their dads found them in the trash. You can't see it, but this one with the robe on, that's her coat she wears. She has two different shoes because her dad couldn't find two of the same one. This is them trying to get warm. There was 14 of them lived in that house. You want to see Jesus? Go where he is. This little boy came up to me, and we brought a van full of little friends. Any of you kids have little friends? You like to read little friends? Save them, because there's kids that don't get to have those stories. They called me the story lady. And so I would bring them, and they would take all those little friends, and they, would, they couldn't wait. But he came up to me, and he said, you got any sneaks in there? And I thought he was looking for snakes for some reason. I, what do you need a snake for? No, sneaks. And he holds up his foot, and he has a shoes. And the shoes have rubber bands holding the top to the bottom. And he said, I need a new pair of sneaks. And I said, all I have is men. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll take them. And, and they weren't allowed to give them to him. Which, come on. I, I remember thinking to myself, you don't have to go to another country to be a missionary. It lives here. These are the kids from Romania that they decided, without ever telling me, that there were 60 of them, and Sergio was going to preach upstairs, and I was going to preach to the kids downstairs. P.S., there would be no adults there except for you, and no translators. I was very demonstrative that day. The gypsies that I've met, and we're gonna, we'll talk about them another time, preaching in gypsy churches to young women who were married off at the age of 12. And when they didn't have babies within the year, they were divorced and married over and over again. I didn't say that to discourage you because I had so much fun. And um, I brought this, now I told the kids yesterday, I walked through the villages I got to see Jesus. But this little boy, he touched my heart a lot. He made these out of trash. He found a tin can, that's the top and the back. And then he smashed around and made an edge. He made these little pieces of aluminum from the can. And then he found an old light bulb that didn't work. 
cut a hole in the top. He put a little straw in it, and he put some kerosene in it. He sold them in a six-pack on a string, and he brought light to his village. And I remember the first time I saw this, I thought, if a little kid could make light out of trash, what can God, God do with me? We are the light of the world. If you think that this is not for you, God can use me, he can use anybody. And I honestly say, it is the greatest joy to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. It is more about saving you than it is anybody you talk to. I just want to thank you for coming this morning, and I hope it encourages you. And I pray that in our church we will begin to just jump in the water. <laughs> if you have to do it with a life preserver and 15 other things keeping you afloat, jump in, jump in. Trust Jesus. He has an amazing experience for us, and they're not all intense. Um, I think God sends me in that direction because that's part of my personality. But a lot of them are pretty fun and amazing. So I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, bless us this week. Don't let us go. Don't let us be stuck and boring. Don't let us be oatmeal. Dear Lord, I plead with you that you would show us where to jump in. Show us where we're afraid. Walk with us, even if we have to walk in the shadow of the death behind the white curtains. I pray, Father, that this week you would become real, that you would talk to us and guide us. Don't leave us down here hypnotized and stuck. I pray that instead you would open our church, that you would walk among us, that your angels would show us who needs thousands of dollars for the great evangelistic crusade. If we could live up to what all you angels are doing, if we could bring in multitudes, stir our neighbors, stir us. Show us what to say and what to do. We are willing. You are everywhere. Bless the kids that came. I don't know if you have called any of them to be foreign ministers, but I ask that you would continue to protect them. I don't know who has been called to minister here. Watch over them and guide them. And Lord, bless all the women that help put this together. The singers, Donna and all of her wonderful <laughs> backdrops and the people that brought, Tom brought puppet shows, ask that you give them double for what they did for our kids. Thank you so much, Jesus. And thank you for always being my friend. Amen. <laughs>